So Genesis 40 and 41 in your copies of God's Word. As we continue to talk about the life of Joseph. This little scene that covers these two chapters takes a little bit of a detour, it seems, into Joseph's experience in prison. God gives him the ability to interpret a dream, of course, but the interpretation doesn't pay off, or so it seems at at first. It's interesting what we learn here. Of course, we know from earlier in the book of Genesis that Uh, Joseph has the ability to dream some dreams, but now we learn that he has the ability to interpret the dreams. And of course, these gifts are given to him by the Lord in order to do what God has uh, called him to do at this point in his life. So, I think it would just be appropriate for me to read Genesis chapter 40. So why don't we do that? Why don't we read Genesis chapter 40 together? It's the nature of teaching through narrative. We kind of have to read the narrative in order to understand the narrative. It begins this way. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. So even in prison, it seems that Joseph is given responsibilities and these leadership roles. And one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. Then Joseph came to them in the morning, and he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in the master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not, do not interpretations belong to God? Please, tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches, and as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in his hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as formerly when you were uh, his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit." When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. And there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Sounds a lot similar to the first, but takes a turn here. 
In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So, we learn a few things here. As a consequence of God's hand being on Joseph, he is he's shown to have certain abilities. His ability as a dream interpreter seems to build on his earlier gift of simple dreamer. But you see, as a sidebar here, God's favor seems to be shown to Joseph even in prison by by his appointment to care for those imprisoned royal officials. Even when things are not going well for Joseph, there's still evidence that God's hand is on him. And then, of course, in verse 8, it says this, Do not interpretations belong to God? So Joseph has this confidence that God will give him what he needs in order to, to do what he needs to do in prison. He says, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. In other words, Joseph understands himself as being appointed by God for this purpose. Indeed, one night both dreamed. One night both of these men dreamed. And this, is, of course, is a, is a sign of God's sovereignty. He can allow both men to dream something on the same night just when Joseph is there to interpret the dreams for them. So that, of course, this doesn't have to do simply with Joseph, but so that God's purposes can be advanced. In the same night, these two men both have a dream. Just right when Joseph is at the right place at the right time, he can allow both to dream something, providing Joseph the ability to interpret these things as well. So... This seems to be a part of a theme, what's going on here, used in God's history of salvation. Uh, let me explain what I mean. The Pentateuch, of course, is just the first five books of the Bible. is addressed to people who are about to cross into the Promised Land. So if you can imagine the first five books of the Bible really just being one book that's given to a people, and this people need to read this book at a certain point in their history, you can imagine the, the people of God being ready to cross into the promised land. And this is the book that God gives them, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay. And inside of this book, the, the first what we know is the first five books of the Bible, Moses is, is kind of the... Um, He's the, the main character through much of this. Okay, They've been led by Moses, but they're about to be led by Joshua. So what could God be doing? What, what do we think God might be doing? He's preparing his people for a change of leadership. He's preparing them for actually a change of a lot. They're getting ready to, to cross into the promised land, to be led by Joshua there. And so God is helping them by providing them this, this stuff to set them up to follow a different kind of leader. Okay, so here's, here's what I mean by that. Moses was portrayed as a prophet. But you see, 
He hasn't seen his prophecies come true yet. Moses tells them what's going to happen when they go into the promised land, but they haven't seen it come about. They're still waiting for the things that Moses has said. They're waiting for these things to, to, to be made full. Joshua, on the other hand, is portrayed as, as one who's filled with the spirit of wisdom. If you look in, in Deuteronomy uh, 34.9, Deuteronomy 34.9 uh, says this. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him as did the Lord had commanded, and, and, as, and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like in Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and all the wonders that the Lord had sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his servants. To all his land, and for all of the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. And so this is the, the closing word. This is the last paragraph of the last book of the first five books of the Bible. And so there's this big passing off of the baton that's happening from Moses to Joshua. And so what could, what could God be doing here in Genesis by highlighting how this man Joseph was a man of wisdom? Right? So God is using these, old, these stories to paint a picture for them, right? To set them up for their, their eventual crossing into the promised land. This section of Genesis, it's talking about the life of Joseph, is used to teach the people of Israel to prepare them for the kind of leader God is about to give them, one who is wise and discerning. So we see a little bit of similarity between Joseph and Joshua. Both men are presented as men who are wise and discerning. So I think this is one of the reasons why the, the, the tempo of the story in Genesis slows way down and the camera lens narrows in on the life of Joseph to teach the people of Israel things that they need to know to follow their next leader once they cross into the promised land. Um, so God uses the life of Joseph to set a pattern for, for wise and discerning leadership. And of course, we see this in Genesis 41, 39. It says this, This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Speaking of, of Joseph. Seems to be a great mirror here, kind of between Joseph and Joshua. So here's how... We might could apply these things. We should remember the high esteem that the scriptures place on discernment. And discernment is, is a spiritual gift. And I think that we should ask God for more of it. To be able to discern things. Uh, to be able to, to read between the lines. And to, and to understand what's going on. And what is, is kind of behind the scenes in many different situations. Um, this is a very important quality because if, if we don't have discernment, of course we can never know the motives of people's hearts. I think there's actually, we should have a lot of caution about thinking that we know what's in someone's heart. As a matter of fact, we can often jump to wrong conclusions 
if we think that we know what's in someone else's heart. So usually we're, we're cautioned against that in Scripture. But at the same time, if we take everything we hear at face value, we'll be led astray like sheep, right? Because we know that the hearts of people, our own hearts, are, are Genesis chapter 3 hearts. They're Jeremiah 17, 9 hearts. And so we need to be a discerning people, not easily led astray. This is the quality that is perhaps most needed in our day. We need to be able to tell error from truth, truth from error. We need to be able to discern good doctrine from bad. May we ever be people who prize discernment and, and wisdom and seek it like silver, like it says in Proverbs chapter 2. We need to be able to discern truth from error. Here's the reality, friends. The reality is, is that if we are not discerning about doctrine and about what the Bible says, if, if the Scriptures are not at the center, then something else is going to be at the center. Either our opinions or we're going we're gonna to think, well, I think something is good or bad based on how I feel about it. Well, friends, I don't know about you, but my feelings, I mean, feelings can go on the roller coaster. And I can't trust my feelings from 8 a.m. the same way that I can at 2 p.m. in the same day even. Our feelings are not good judges of truth, but, but the Scriptures are. And God, through the Holy Spirit, has given us the ability to look to His Scriptures and to discern truth from error. So, we should caution ourselves against thinking that we can determine truth based on our feelings or based on uh, any other gauge other than the Scriptures. And God gives wisdom to, re- to bring the Scriptures to mind the moments when we need it. As we look in Genesis 41, though, we kind of switch over... Chapter 40 begins on an anticlimactic note. It seems that things are, are about to... It almost seems like this is a to-be-continued, right? Where the episode, the end of the night, it sounds like, oh, I know what's getting ready to happen, and then it doesn't happen, right? Joseph was just able to discern the dream. He was able to interpret the dream for these people. Oh, now he's going to get sprung out of prison, and the chapter closes, and the cupbearer doesn't remember him, Right? doesn't remember him. Um, Let's read in Genesis chapter 41. It begins this way in verse 1. After two whole years. There's a lot going on there in between Genesis chapter 40 and Genesis chapter 41. Can you imagine the disappointment that you might feel for two whole years? Lord, why did you allow me to have this gift that should have sprung me out of prison. And then in two whole years, the man that I helped has not remembered me. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. So another dream occurs. It seems like every time a dream happens, something big is getting ready to occur. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed on the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. 
And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And then the the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So, of course, God's sovereignty, God's being in control of all events, is on display here again as, as Pharaoh, the leader of the nation, has two dreams back to back. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And of course, the wisdom that God gives to Joseph is contrasted from all the collective wisdom of the whole nation of Egypt. He calls in all of the magicians. He calls in all of the wise men, and they don't have wisdom enough to be able to help their leader. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. And, of course, he recounts the whole dream again. And skip down to verse... Uh, well, that's, that's good enough for now. Just verses 1 through 24. So, Joseph is made to wait by God two whole years. We are apparently to assume the same thing that has always sustained Joseph, namely, God's presence was enough for him for all two years. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up, With wings like eagles. And they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So, God shows himself to be sovereign once again through the the dreams of of Pharaoh. The cupbearer remembers. A young Hebrew was there with us. He remembers Joseph just two years later. Makes you wonder. He had to wait two years to make it the right timing, perhaps, for the, for the famine to occur, to, to bring in a number, a number of other events to bear all at one time. But Joseph, of course, uses this opportunity to glorify God. Remember what he said when Pharaoh says, I hear that you, I hear that you can tell me what my dream means. Joseph replies, he says, it is not in me God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. 
Isn't this interesting? I don't know about you, but if I had been made to wait in such a way for two whole years, I think I might be tempted to be bitter. I think I might be tempted to resent God. I think I might be tempted to question His ways. Say, God, why couldn't you just make the cupbearer remember me a year and 11 months ago or something like that? But God's timetable is not our timetable. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And His ways are not our ways. And so it seems like Joseph has been using these two years in prison, renewing his trust in the Lord. And it's this trust in the Lord that has given him strength. Just as it says in Isaiah 40. He comes out of prison, he shaves, he he presents himself to, to Pharaoh, and he glorifies God. He doesn't have, as it seems, resentment in his heart. And after hearing the dreams, Joseph begins to interpret. This is what it says in the next 20 verses, verses 25 through 45. But he does more than this. He even makes recommendations to Pharaoh. In other words, Joseph doesn't simply describe what's going to happen. He prescribes what Pharaoh ought to do. Isn't this this the height of, of arrogance? This man that you've just drug out of, out of prison, he, he, he purports to come before the leader of the nation and to tell him what he ought to do. But again, it seems that the hand, the hand of God is on Joseph. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. I wonder who that might be. Wonder what discerning and wise man Joseph has in mind. Again, Joseph is, is set forth as this person who's wise and discerning, setting the people of Israel up to look ahead um, to Joshua. Who could that be? Perhaps, perhaps this wise and discerning man is the one who, as he interpreted to us, so it came about. As it said in 41.13. Pharaoh comes to the same conclusion about Joseph. Apparently, Pharaoh himself says, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? So even Pharaoh, who uh, we are led to assume is, of course, not a believer in Yahweh, right? He's he's Pharaoh. He's king of Egypt. He's uh, worshiping false gods, perhaps even worshiping himself. He is even brought to ask this question. Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And again, in 41.39, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Interesting, interesting stuff. So, God's plan advances as we see in these closing verses of Genesis 41. Let's just read verses uh, 46 uh, through the end. It begins this way. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced bountifully. And he gathered up all the food from these seven years of, of you know, good harvest, right? This is what his dream was, that there would be seven years of good followed by seven years of famine. So Pharaoh, you better, you better start storing up now. Uh, verse 49, And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Asenath, the daughter of 
Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forever, uh, I'm sorry, God has made me forget all my hardship in my father's house. The name of his second son is called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in, the, in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. When the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth... (laughs) Interesting language, right? All the earth did what? Came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe Over all the earth. It said that Egypt had bread. Why? Why did Egypt have bread? Because of the offspring of Abraham. Was at the right place at the right time. And all the earth came to the offspring of Abraham so that they could live. Right? So that they could have bread. Friends, later in the New Testament, there would be another offspring of Abraham. And his name is Jesus. And all the earth would come to him. To get real bread. So that they would never again hunger. This is what we see in the, uh, in the book of Genesis. It's again set us, setting us up to see Jesus. To see him for who he is. And to be prepared for him. Just as the people of Israel were being prepared for Joshua, their leader. Also for us, the book of Genesis prepares us for Jesus, our leader. In the Old Testament, God made sure that all the nations would be blessed through the offspring of Abraham so that they could have bread. Now in the New Testament, God provides for all all of the earth to have true bread and living water through the offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ, for all who will believe. Friends, this is enough for us, I think, to leave here praising God because he has given us real bread for all to come and buy without money, come and drink of his living water. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the true and better Joseph. He's the true and better Joshua. Joseph was a wise man. He was obedient. Joshua was wise. He was obedient. But Lord, Jesus was all wise because he was fully God and fully man. He was perfectly obedient. He was obedient for us on behalf of us in such a way that when we place our faith in Him, God the Father, You look down and You don't see our disobedience. You see Jesus' obedience on our behalf. Lord, I pray that we would place our hope and our trust ever, ever in this one, the man, Jesus Christ. And I pray we would do that tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen.